Ah, good morning, everybody. Yeah, good to see you. So let me ask you a question. How many of you heard your whole life about a family member that unfortunately maybe passed away uh, before you came along and, and you never got to meet that person? You always really wanted to. I had a grandfather that was like that. His name was Howard Skidmore. He passed away when I was, uh, before I was one year old. And all my life I heard about him and his brothers and the conversations that they had together. And mom said more than once, oh, Chad, she said, I wish you could have heard what they would talk about. She said they were always having these theological discussions. At least they thought they were theological discussions about this and that. And I really longed to have been part of that little group of guys, him and his brothers, hearing them talk about this and that and the state of the world and how God plays into all that. Even if it wasn't always right. But I feel like I missed out on something. I missed out on a relationship. And I'm guessing you probably feel like there's someone in your life that you have missed out on a relationship with. It could be a family member. It could be a child. And you always wish you could have had something more than what it actually was. Maybe you didn't put the time into it. Or maybe through no fault of your own, you missed the opportunity. But there's, there's one relationship that we absolutely must put the time into. And it's essential. It's essential just to make it through this life. You know, there's this wonderful book called Knowing God uh, by J.I. Packer. And he talks about the essential nature of knowing God. He says this, knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to pick them up and fly them to London and drop them off in Trafalgar Square and, and Trafalgar Square and leave them there as someone who knew nothing about English or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place. And life ended a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. He goes on and says this. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were. With no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. And he is not overstating that. He hits it right on the head. What I want to talk about this morning is then, well, how can I know God? How can I know God? How can I know him better today than yesterday with the promise of knowing him more tomorrow? How can I know that deep? experience of satisfaction, growing satisfaction and joy in knowing God. The passage we'll look at this morning comes from John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we'll start with verse 1 of John 17. We'll read down through verse 8. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 17 verses 1 through 8. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. You may be seated. We're now moving towards the end of the book of John. And the crucifixion is imminent. The hour in Gethsemane is imminent. And don't forget what John said about his own book. There's a reference in which he told us the reason for writing this book. I'm not going to put it on the screen yet. Say it with me. John 20, verses 30 and... Hey, we're getting, we're getting it. We're getting good at this. Let's read it off the screen together. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This morning, I want to talk about five daily disciplines to know God. Five crucial disciplines that are important to your daily life as anything you have done today. If you've brushed your teeth if you've combed your hair, don't rub it in. But uh, this is crucial. These are five disciplines that daily we need to be practicing. So let's start out then with this first discipline. And uh, right off the bat, we must take note of something that Jesus did. And that is Jesus prayed. He prayed. We have to know God through, par- through prayer And the first thing John tells us before the content of Christ's prayer, it begins with this posture of Christ before God. It says he lifted his eyes to heaven. And that's significant. The posture is assuming something, that we we know something. It's telling us something. He's looking to his Father. This was a common mode of Jewish prayer. Sometimes a hand would be lifted. This was a symbol of reverence to God. A confidence in his father, a continued submission to him. And there's other times in the Old Testament he would lift up a hand and a prayer was given, but we can visualize what it was that Jesus looked like. He's in front of his disciples, head turned upward. And he continued to pray out loud because he wanted the disciples to hear and us to know the content of this prayer that he is praying. The first word out of his mouth was father. That was their relationship. It was affection. It was submission. It was honor. And and prayer is essential in knowing God. It's an essential spiritual discipline. And and often Jesus wanted his disciples to see him pray. And on some occasions he went alone in the hills to pray in Mark 1. At other times he told his followers that they had to do the same to get by themselves in Mark 6. But more often than Then not we realize that when Jesus was alone in prayer, his disciples were still by his side. 
It says in Luke 9, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he made his spirituality, his spiritual life visible for others to see and listen to and take note of. So we must pray, and and we must pray often. It must be something that we model for our families. It must be something that we model for our children, that they would see us doing this, that they would hear our prayers from time to time. And even the elements of prayer, this fall in men's ministry, we're talking through vital elements of prayers. They appear in the Lord's Prayer, and I always pray according to a, a, a typical sort of model. You can even say, I outline everything, as you can tell. But I like to pray according to the model given the Lord's Prayer. If you can remember the acronym, maybe you've learned this already, ACTS, A-C-T-S. We start out with adoration. We adore God. That's the right place to start. You heard Jesus say, Lord, hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. Start out by simply telling God, You are holy and mighty and awesome. And that gets you in the place to where, you know what? Now you know who you're talking to. You love me. And then A, C, C is confession. Confess your sins to God. What do you need to confess to God? Whatever it is. Whatever sin you've committed. He already knows it, by the way. And we don't confess sins because we lose our salvation. We need to get it back again. This is about maintaining the relationship. In the same way, you may need to apologize to your earthly father because you've wronged him. That doesn't mean you're no longer your father's child. We confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and he cleanses us from unrighteousness. Adoration, that's C, confession, then T, thanksgiving. Take a moment and thank God. Lord, thank you. Thank him for anything your imagination can come up with. Thank Him for the clouds. Thank Him for your house. Thank Him for that place in which you are praying in that moment. Thank Him for the people that love you. Thank Him for all He's given you. Thank Him that you get to live in a country where you are free to pray whenever you want to, to worship when you want to. Thank Him for whatever you can come. Thank Him for the hard times you're going through because you know He's using those hard times to make you into someone He wants you to be. You adore Him. You confess. You thank Him. Then the S, that stands for supply. As in, God, please supply me with the things I need. Lift up to God what it is that your heart wants so desperately. I I find the older I get, the more and more I pray about relationships. Help me to love this person more. Help me to forgive this person. Help me not to be angry about this person. God, help me with my anxiety. Help me to trust you more. Prayer is essential. If it was essential for Christ when he was here on earth as God himself, how much more essential is it for you and I daily, multiple times a day, to be lifting up our voice to God? Schedule it. Put it in there. Make sure you're praying. And then secondly, we also know God through relationship. I want to uh, walk down through the rest of verse 1, verses 2 and 3. This certainly involves prayer. But let's continue through our passage. The time has come. Christ is referring this to be the time of his crucifixion, his death, his, his resurrection. He proclaims who he's talking to. The time is at hand. This is the time the Father has ordained. He's acknowledging, Lord, I'm operating on your timetable, not my own. I'll take the events as they come. 
not as I would like them to be. And then he makes the only personal request from God that he's going to make in this whole prayer is that for himself, that he would be glorified so the Father would be glorified. Now, what does that mean? We talk about glory all the time, and, and glory here and glorify there, but in this context, the phrase literally means to be clothed in splendor. He'll explain it more down in verse 5. But remember, Jesus came to earth as a man. He was still fully God, the creator of all things, and he has willfully veiled his godly attributes. He retained all of his godly attributes. He was no less God when he became a man. But he veiled these attributes willfully. He, he veiled his appearance of being God. He restricted the use of his power to live on earth among men and comply with the will of the Father. Now he's asking the Father to undo the veiling. Return him to the place he was before anything had ever been created. His former place. All that's packed into the first verse. And verse 2 goes on to explain how the Father, how it was that the Father glorified the Son. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So how was the Son glorified? Because the Father had granted him authority to give eternal life. That's what authority over all flesh means. He gave that to the Son. And this is how they mutually glorify each other. And then what is eternal life? Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you want to know what your highest purpose is here on earth. In this little tiny window that we have between birth and death. More important than whatever you do for a vocation. More important than uh, whom you may be married to or dating or who you... More important than any of that is this purpose of knowing God. There's another phrase that Piker uses in his book, Knowing God, that talks about this knowing. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of, not about God. What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? It is knowledge of God. This is the only thing that will ultimately bring satisfaction. So often we try to pin this on something else. If I just had the right job or the right spouse or the right... Th- no. Right here. It will, only this will bring ultimate satisfaction. No person or thing on this earth can serve as a replacement for what Christ shares in this verse. And, and look at how eternal life is defined. This is so interesting. And it's easy to miss. It's not in years. He doesn't say this is eternal life. It's to live a long, 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 long time. He doesn't say that. Because a life is a lot more than just the passing of time. He's speaking of something else. Because life is a lifetime of interacting with relationships and people around you. And it's a quality of, of interaction. And now think about this for a second. See, a fish 
is very content just to live its entire life just swimming around in the water. Even the ice free, it just swims around under the ice. A worm is very content just to spend its life crawling through the dirt, crawling through the ground, not really wanting anything else beyond that. But humans need so much more. We need the earth, we need the water, we need the sky, we need interactions with other people, but we still need more. The heart still wants more. We need to know our creator. We need to know God himself. One commentator said it this way, knowledge of God, said Jesus, constitutes eternal life. Not only is it endless, since the knowledge of God would require an eternity to develop fully, but qualitatively, it must exist in an eternal dimension. Now, what does all that mean? See, this is why heaven will never, ever get boring. Now, be honest. You have imagined heaven before, and you thought you saw a picture of yourself just kind of twiddling your thumbs, didn't you? You just kind of, okay, here we are. Somebody get the hymnals out, and let's... uh, Maybe we'll do that praise thing again. No. Do you know why heaven will never, ever be boring? Because how long does it take to unwind the eternal mind of God? You see, every moment of heaven will be understanding God in a more deeper and deeper and deeper way. And you never get to the end of knowing God. Ever. How long does it take to unravel an infinite mind? takes forever. And you're always growing in your capacity for joy. And the dwelling we have right now is not adequate to know God. God knows this. That's why when you die, you'll go to that intermediate state, immediately into the presence of God. But then ultimately, everything will come back. God will make the whole planet new and completely different. He'll he'll bring his kingdom down, and, and this will be an adequate environment in which to know God. Even the environment we're in right now is not totally adequate to know God. This is eternal life. When we are resurrected and perfected, He sets His kingdom up here. And relating to God as our loving Father changes us. And our quality of living ever increases as our knowledge of God increases. That's why, you know, it's such a sin for Christians to get bored. If you're getting bored, you're not seeking God. So we know him through this prayer, through this intimate relationship. And then thirdly, we know him through obedience. We know him through obedience. Again, we're talking about daily, daily activities here. He continues his prayer in verses 4 and 5. He says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with glory that I had with you before the world existed. And the more, see, the more we obey, the more we glorify. And Jesus said in verse 4 that having accomplished the work, it's best to see his accomplished work as his death, his resurrection, him being on earth for a little while longer, and then ascending into God. And having finished that work, that whole glorification process... And this work all includes the revelation of his Father. And and we see a contrast between verses 4 and 5 and between the glory that Jesus by his work brought to the Father on earth and the glory he asked the Father to give him in heaven. 
Again, he wants to be re-glorified. He wants the authority and the powers and the splendor and the privileges of being God that he veiled while he was on earth. And we glorify God through obedience. In other words, what we say by our lives communicates to people around us that we believe that God is important. At least that's the goal. That's what we do out of love for God is obey him. And, and so not unlike Jesus, we are here to do the work that he gave us to do. I've a passage that many of us have maybe memorized at some point. If you grew up in church, if not, here it is. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God gave you this gift of salvation. But then why did he save us? Don't forget about Ephesians 2.10. Why did he save us? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's another verse, Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy, and I, want you, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we're not just here to hear the gospel, <clears throat> get saved, immediately justified. But we're here to get saved and then do good works for God. And if you're wondering maybe why you struggle or, or maybe you're struggling with the scriptures, the scriptures just don't seem like they're opening up to you, let me ask you something. Are you being obedient? There's a great story. There's a wonderful pastor named Eugene Peterson. He tells this story about, he said, you know, whenever I was 35 years old, he said, I, I started uh, getting the hanker to run. He said, I went out and bought a really good pair of running shoes and I started running. And then he says he started buying all these magazines about running, you know, Runner's World and I don't really run, so I'm just, my wife does. I know that these things exist out there somewhere. But he got into it. But then he pulled a muscle, and he had to stop running. And he noticed when he pulled that muscle and he stopped running, he said he also stopped reading all those magazines about running. He wasn't that interested. And he said, if, <clears throat> if I wasn't running, there was nothing to deepen. Then he goes on and says this, the parallel with reading scripture is striking. If I'm not living an active response to the living God, <clears throat> reading about his creation, salvation, holiness, won't hold my interest for long. The most important question isn't what does this mean, but what can I obey? Simple obedience will open up our lives to a text more quickly than any number of Bible studies, dictionaries, and concordances. Are you obeying God daily? <clears throat> I was just looking a little bit this week about how much church attendance has declined. It was declining before COVID hit, and it has declined precipitously uh, since then. Regular church attendance is now once in every four Sundays. If you grew up in church, was that the way it was? But times have changed. And it is disobedience. When, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's like, Chad, we're here, okay? I know, you're here. I'm glad you're here. 
But you know what? Maybe make the next six months look different than the last six months. Maybe attend a little more in the next six months than you have in the last six months. And maybe if you're going to make a New Year's resolution, maybe it's to be here more. Just to be. There is something about the gathering of God's people that is special. And we gather together to, to do things like this morning we'll be taking communion. And I'm very thankful for those of you who are joining us online. Um, we have online services when you can't be here. Can't is the key word. How can you obey God this week? Prayer is an act of obedience. Loving people is an act of obedience. <clears throat> and then our fourth necessity, again, it's connected to obedience too, and that is to know God through his word. We know God through his word. And, and Christ turns uh, his attention more to his disciples. We see it there in verse 6. And he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So he says, Lord, you gave me these disciples out of the world, and I manifested your name, Father, to the people. That is, he made known the Father to the people. Remember, Jesus is the heart and mind of God. That is the Logos. That's what that means. I am the heart and mind of God out there walking around displaying the Father to you by what I say and what I do. And then look at verses 7 and 8. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Disciples have accepted that, that what Christ had given them came from the Father. And what did he give them? He says it there in verse 8. I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them. And here in the Gospels, where we, it's where we truly understand who God is and how much he loves us. And, and I've probably told this story before, but you know, when my wife and I first started uh, dating, it was, it was a long time getting this, this woman to go out with me. You know, she was... She was dating a naval aviator. We lived near a, a naval base. I mean, you know, dating this fighter pilot. I mean, this, this is going to be a hard sell, right? And uh, eventually, uh, we started talking, and we started emailing each other. And I remember getting those emails. I remember the sound of the email when it came in, and I would read it again and again and again. Get up, I'd have to walk around a little bit. Had to work off the energy. Come back, read it again and again. And man, I was falling in love with her. And I couldn't, you know, I was reading in between the lines and the emails. Because these were like love letters to each other. And the Bible is God's love letter to us. This is how he revealed himself to us. Things he did for us. So you've got to be in the word daily. And if you're like, Chad, I have such a hard time understanding what the scriptures say. You know what? Out there in the foyer, there's these booklets called Our Daily Bread. And if, you know, it's a verse and it's some thoughts and a devotion about that verse. And that is a great way to get into the Word of God. And they're doing the hard work of interpreting what the Scriptures are saying to help you understand what the Scriptures are saying. And those are, you know, there's a reason they call them our daily bread. It's like daily nourishment. There was a long time that they were extremely, and, and from time to time you can get the app on your phone. It's a great way to get into God's Word. 
But get into the word. Don't neglect it. Read to understand what it says. So we grow through prayer, relationship, obedience, the Bible, and finally we grow through our faith in Christ. We know God through faith in Christ. Look at the end of verse 8, and they have believed that you sent me. And this is, we're really ending where it begins, with faith in Jesus Christ. Even what Christ set up in uh, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you sent. So trusting in Jesus, again, even though it's number 5 on the list, is the very first move we make toward God. And what we find out is he actually made the move toward us before we made the move toward him. And, and we believe what he said. And I love the way uh, Alistair McGrath has this, he's a wonderful theologian, talks about these three stages of knowing Christ. He said there's the belief that God is promising me forgiveness. Then there's the, the trust. In other words, first I know the promise, then I believe it may be true, and then I start trusting it. He likens it to uh, penicillin. And he said that when penicillin first came to Great Britain, it saved hundreds of lives, thousands of lives, maybe more from blood poisoning. And he said there were people that responded to penicillin like this. First, they just had to believe that it existed, that there's a bottle there on the shelf. They knew it was there. They understood that it was there. Then they had to believe that it would work. And then they had to actually receive the shot in their arm. And it had to destroy the bacteria that was slowly killing them. And it's that third element of that kind of faith. That's how he makes sense of the cross. And he said, just as faith links a bottle of penicillin to the cure of blood poisoning, so faith forges a link. Forges a link between the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ and ourselves. Faith unites us with the risen Christ and makes available to us everything he gained through his obedience and resurrection. The gospel is something that we must believe every day. Trust in Christ every day. Let it renew your faith every day. So putting this all together, discipline yourself to find your ultimate satisfaction in knowing God. This is the only way to happiness. This is the only way to joy. This is the only way our souls will ever be satisfied is exercising these daily disciplines to know God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying the price for our sin. I thank you for making yourself known, for becoming a man, coming to earth, shedding your blood for our sin. Lord, you became sin, the one who knew no sin. You became sin on our behalf so we would not have to feel the wrath of the Father. We thank you for this wonderful gift. And Lord, prepare our hearts as we go into this time of communion. God, that in a new way we would, we would know you, we would trust you through this visible act that we're about to do together. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. As the men are lining up in the back, about to come forward, I just want to talk to you for a moment about what we're doing right now 
uh, in this act of communion. First of all, I just want to be clear that communion is for those who have put their faith in Christ. If you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, uh, feel free to just let the, the plate pass by you. It is for those who have trusted Christ. And in this act of communion, we, in obedience to God, consider more deeply what he did for us. The juice represents his bloody, his, his blood, the bread represents his body, and it's a picture of a great meal that's come. See, we all take this together, and it looks forward to a time in the future when we will get to enjoy something called the marriage supper of the Lamb, when, when all of us who have put our faith in Christ are reunited with all of our loved ones who have put their faith in Christ to sit down in a big meal together. Please pray with me. God, again, prepare our hearts for what we're about to receive. And I pray that through this, Lord Jesus, we would know you in a new way. In your name we pray. Amen.
for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close in prayer. Again, Almighty God, we thank you for the wonderful gift that we have been given, this free gift of salvation. And God, I pray that you would give us peace as we know you more and more daily, that the peace would grow daily, that the joy would grow daily. Help us commit ourselves to the disciplines, Lord, of knowing you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Peace to you, and thank you all for coming today. If you're in need of prayer, I would love to uh, pray with you if you'd like to come up. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. Kevin has a wonderful Romans class that's meeting in the youth group room. If you'd like to check that out, otherwise, we'll see you next week.